Hi, everyone. Welcome to Being Patient Brain Talks. I'm Deborah Kahn, founder of Being Patient. Today, we're going to talk about a topic we get a lot of people writing to us about, and that is sleep. Um, we talked about it in terms of research last week. This week, we're going to talk about strategies in how to improve sleep uh, when it comes to uh, somebody with dementia. There's also a phenomenon called sundowning. That's when um, the sun goes down and dementia patients tend to experience changes either in um, behavior or disturbing sleep patterns. So we've invited today uh, Christy Turner, and I love how she calls herself the Dementia Sherpa. Um, that's a great name. Um, she gives a lot of people advice on care strategies um, from everyone from patients to caregivers. So Christy, welcome and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So before we before we go to the solutions, I want to talk about the phenomenon because um, you know we we've talked to um, earlier stage patients who say that actually seasonal changes are quite difficult for them. Uh, winter time um, often associated with depression or sleep issues. What do we know about that um, in terms of the behavior of someone um, and, and seasonal changes in terms of the behavior of someone with dementia? We know it's a problem for sure. Um, that's typically when we see more what's usually called sundowning. And that is where somebody's behavior changes later in the afternoon. We see it more often when there's the time change, when we come off of daylight savings time and back into standard time. And our body uses environmental cues like the sun to figure out what time of day it is and what we should be doing. And it's if you already are living with a diagnosis that can cause confusion, it makes it really tough to figure out what's going on here. The other thing is that our body naturally starts producing less and less melatonin as we age. Typically people living with an Alzheimer's diagnosis or another type of neurodegenerative disorder are over age 70. So it's kind of a double whammy. So when you, when you talk to families um, impacted by dementias, everyone from patients to caregivers, um, how do they describe the sundowning issue? I mean, I know personally in my family, it's more, we've more associated it with behavioral changes within my mom. Like if she has a hallucination um, or she tends to get more confused, it's usually when the sun's gone down, it's at nighttime. Um, what is it that you hear from, from people, um, families um, who you're caring or giving advice to? about when it usually happens yeah. for them. Yeah, well, that's why it's called sun. Or what, what usually happens. Sun not... is going down. <laughs> no, I, I didn't mean when, I meant what. Like what, what, are, what are the typical complaints? Is it more I have a hard time sleeping or is it more associated with behavioral changes? Yeah, I think it would, in the common vernacular, be called sort of a meltdown. Um, where it's just like this mounting frustration just bubbles over. So, it, you know, there's a spectrum. Some, it's, it's far more mild than with others where uh, people might become so frustrated that they're uh, 
throwing things or maybe grabbing at their hair. They're showing a, an enormous amount of frustration and an inability to soothe themselves. Some people do have a problem with hallucinations that are distressful or sometimes delusions that are distressful. Oh, like take jet, jet lag, for example. They always say, oh, if you want to, if you're going to jump a lot of time zones, which I frequently do, I don't necessarily do this, but they always say, try to slowly, gradually uh, increase your, you know, point towards that time zone. So if it means staying up a couple hours later, getting up earlier, um, are there strategies that people with dementia can employ in order to help them adjust to time changes um, or you know changes in daylight for that matter? Absolutely. So having a lot of light on in the house is really important. And it's one of those things that kind of depending on how you grew up, maybe overlooked where folks might think, oh, I'm not in that room, so I should shut off the, I should turn off the light, or uh, it's really hot outside, or uh, excuse me, really cold outside, and so I should shut the blinds. And instead, if we can keep as much daylight as possible, that is the, the best thing. And then adding artificial light and getting the light bulbs that are mimic daylight versus the fluorescence that you would often find in an office setting is really helpful. And helping uh, somebody kind of, if, if they're not sure what the next thing is, like what how the day is going to go, is super, super helpful. Um, so that they have a, something like a sense of predictability of, okay, when, I know the sequence of the day because people aren't really always aware of a clock. And if you're looking at visual cues like the sun in the winter months, that's going to be a really tough read. So are you saying maybe set a schedule and let the person know ahead of time, like during these times, we're going to be doing this, this time, it, like a, a pretty rigid schedule? I wouldn't say rigid. I would say predictability is what's really important. So, and it, it, it can be fairly loose, but you know, we're going to have breakfast. And after that, maybe we're going to go take a walk around the block. And then we're going to maybe do a load of laundry or, you know, whatever. It doesn't have to be scheduled down to the minute, but it gets even more important later in the day. So that, and the, like the witching hour is typically right around dinner time. So it can be that period right before dinner time, like 3.30 or so, um, all the way up until, you know, it, the earlier it starts, it seems like the longer it, it can go, depending on how distressed someone is. So if, in, and often what will happen with care partners is they want to start with cooking dinner and so the person is left sort of to their own devices and pretty much nobody feels great after daylight savings time stops anyway. <laughs> that first couple of weeks, everybody's always kind of like, I don't quite feel like myself. Well, when you add a neurodegenerative disorder on top of that, it's even more challenging for the person. So rather than leaving somebody to their own devices or saying, oh, they always used to enjoy watching the news, so I'll just turn that on while I'm cooking dinner, have them be involved with you. So if 
you notice there's a pattern, like say it starts to get dark or dusky around 4 p.m., that's the ideal time to have your person helping you, maybe with uh, cutting up vegetables or shredding lettuce for the salad, uh, setting the table, doing something that helps them uh, feel like, of course, they have a sense of, of worth, of purpose, of value right there in the household. And something that is engaging is keeping their, their brain engaged in uh, a sequence of events. And, you know, a lot of times we think, oh, cooking could be dangerous, but people can stir a pot, they can stir ingredients, they can make a salad, they can set the table, they can still be very involved. The main thing is that you're doing something with them or helping them get involved in something that they understand the steps to it. And that helps reduce anxiety and those feelings that can lead to a meltdown. Okay, and we're getting, and this is a follow on question to that, which is um, if you keep someone with dementia busy during the day and avoid letting them sleep, will it be easier for them to fall asleep at night? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely it will. And just the only thing I would say about that is not just busy for the sake of busy, but engaged in things that they enjoy. Physical activity is often overlooked, again, because often people living with dementia are older in their 70s or 80s, but not everybody. Um, so keeping people as independent as possible, as active as possible for as long as possible is really important. So taking long walks with the dog, for example, or um, going to the park or like our friend Phil is way big into um, running now, <laughs> which I don't understand, but also rowing, of course, that's a, a very big deal in his life. So people can do a lot of things, uh, even, you know, for saying maybe an 85 year old can do chair Tai Chi or chair yoga. And that actually expends a lot of energy. It has positive benefits for how people feel being engaged in the activity and afterward and helps them get to that place later in the evening where they're ready to go to bed. Okay, I, I know you're not a doctor, but I just want to, because you've talked to so many people, is there any insights into why the sleep patterns get so disrupted? Um, and is there any consistency to those disruptions? So for example, as we age, we know there's less melatonin. So uh -huh. does that mean just, I mean, you know, I notice as I age, my sleep patterns are not great either um, as a person without dementia. but. Is there rhyme or reason to the sleep disruption with a person with dementia? Is it is it a combination of aging and neurodegeneration, or is it really unpredictable? I have noticed that some people sleep better than others, and I think that's sort of broadly true of humans. And as you say, of course, I'm not a doctor, but based on my experience and what I've observed and knowing for a fact that melatonin production decreases as we age. So, you know, when somebody has a neurodegenerative disorder, the whole brain is under attack. It's not just memory or confusion, which is often what we think of when we hear words like dementia. So it's the whole brain, that's part of the problem. Then another thing that we don't think about too often is as people are aging, um, that is often when men start to experience prostate problems which can keep them up, uh, getting up numerous times during the night. That is a problem for sleep, obviously. 
And then also uh, for women who have given birth vaginally, uh, a lot of times they end up with a prolapsed bladder or urge incontinency. And so that can keep people awake um, or they start coughing or sneezing and they need to get up right away. So there are other things too, of course, like the, the street light or a lot of environmental factors uh, as well as some, some biological factors. Right. Um, okay. We, um, we have a, a comment from a viewer saying that my grandmom would go to water aerobics with me in the evening and she'd sleep a lot better. It kept her engaged. So yeah, again, that exercise component really is so important. It does. Um, so uh, another question is you touched on the idea of giving people a sense of purpose and identity to help them avoid a meltdown. How critical is identity for people living with Alzheimer's at all times? I would say as critical as all of the elements of my identity are to me or to anyone. Um, the, the main thing that I always try and impart on people is if we're talking about a person living with dementia or a person living with Alzheimer's or a person living with Lewy body disease, whatever it is, it's a person first and foremost, always a person that we're talking about. So really recognizing and honoring the identity of that person, their values, what's important to them, you're always going to have a better result rather than, you know, a, a lot of times, and I, I think we all do it in, in a way of, of trying to kind of a shortcut to how can I help them? And so we're thinking, if I know my person has this diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, then everything must be about Alzheimer's disease. Right. Sometimes that's way too much of a shortcut. We need to really go back to who is this person? What has always been important to them? So for example, somebody who has always loved dogs, that's not gonna go away. And it's really gonna be a great thing to make sure that they do have a dog in their life. It may not be a dog that lives with them, but if they live in a memory care, for example, are people bringing dogs in? Is there pet therapy there? Um, so always honoring those parts of identity. And a lot of times it can be work-related um, depending on the person. Uh, for some people, it might be their identity as a mom. And I do tell that to families a lot, like let your mom be your mom. And a lot of times, you know, people say, well, I don't want to worry my mom. Nobody wants to worry their mom. But sometimes, you know, just the act of putting your head on your mom's shoulder and saying, I just, I really need you, mom. That's powerful. That's great advice, actually. You talked about earlier um, about how meltdowns tend to happen sometimes when sundowning, when the sun goes down, um, you know, and I, I had mentioned, of course, um, you know, I've, we've experienced that in our own family. What about strategies to cope with meltdowns? Because there's an element of irrationality, right? There's, there's something, whether it's a hallucination or a belief that someone stole something, um, you're not going to talk them out of it when they're in that heat of the moment. So what's a, you're not going to talk them out of it, period, period. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so what, what is a good strategy um, when, you know, perhaps sundowning is occurring and it, and it, and it um, evolves more as a behavioral tantrum or anger out, you know, lashing out hallucination. Um, what should caregivers do? Well, you, that would be like the perfect storm because you you threw a lot of elements in there. So but in general, the first thing we always want to do is make sure that our person is safe. So, 
you you can't be like right up in their grill trying to uh, intervene because that's typically going to make it a lot worse. Instead, you can provide some distance and and some visual supervision, but you also want to make sure that they're not near anything that, you know, like a potential tripping hazard or something like that. So ensure their safety first. Then I, it's a, like a ladder. If you think of it as a ladder, this is a really good technique. So if your person is, let's say on an emotional scale, like they're, they're at a hundred, like the, you know, they they are really upset then that's not the time to say, let's talk in our quiet indoor voice. Let's listen to some classical music because it just does not resonate. You're not connecting. So instead, and it's not like you're going to start yelling at them. Of course not. But you want to kind of really acknowledge like you look really upset. How can I help? And they may not even be able to hear you in that moment. But you, if they're pacing, for example, you can walk parallel to them. And you can start slowing your walking down a little bit so that their pacing slows down a little bit because people will typically mimic. So if they're here, you come in here. And once they start coming here, you keep going down. So it's like coming down a ladder. That's really helpful. Uh, a good thing to know is that for humans who have healthy brains, when they really are pissed off and just having a meltdown, it takes 18 minutes to get past that, to get out of that lizard brain back into like, okay, I can hear again. I can breathe again. I can start to self-soothe. So for somebody whose brain is under attack with a neurodegenerative disorder, it's going to take longer than 18 minutes. Yeah. And that's just one thing to know. So part of it is some waiting it out. The other thing is not doing anything to make it worse. Don't throw fuel on the fire. So saying something like, I know how you feel or oh you shouldn't be so upset right please don't tell people how they how they should feel um let them feel it. and and the frustration may be coming from not feeling heard prior to that point so sometimes the best thing is just back off provide that super uh, visual supervision make sure they're um they're okay and that they know like hey i'm here when you're ready that's good advice. Actually, I haven't heard some of that. I, I like the latter too. I, I hadn't heard that before, but in, you know, as you describe it, it makes sense to me. Um, we had another um, comment come in and I thought this is a good one. Um, she, um, a woman has asked, my question is, does it help like with children? If you don't let them sleep during the day, you keep them busy with therapy and activities. Will they sleep a little bo uh, more at night? My dad is 88 and living in a memory care facility and he has uh, um, no underlying conditions. Um, so, and what she points out is it, it appears he's also affected by full or new moons. So that's, that's an interesting thing. I mean, Oh, anybody who works in long-term care will tell you that full moons are a thing for sure. So um, what do we know about the full moon? <laughs> it, it seems to bring out things that we often wish it did not. <laughs> that's what we know about a full moon. It's kind of, you go into it with the idea that, wow, it's a full moon. Anything can happen. This is going to be an interesting experience today or tonight or whatever it is. Um, so yes, staying engaged is important. Staying awake during the day is very important. 
That said, um, it's not always practical for somebody to stay awake during the entire day because depending on where they are in the disease process or where they are in their life, so somebody who's 98, for example, is typically going to require some more sleep. This goes back to not necessarily sleeping well overnight or being able to sleep only in shorter periods. And then also looking at what is actually going on during the day. So if it's um, sometimes uh, a community or, or even in a private home, uh, the idea can be, well, you know, my grandma always really liked watching The Price is Right. So I think, you know, we'll turn on the prices right. And then that leads to maybe the next game show. And sometimes the care partner or the staff can be like, well, that's fantastic. They're entertained. So I'm going to go do these other tasks like laundry or cleaning the room or changing the sheets or whatever. And as a result, the person can end up falling asleep because they're bored or they're not being stimulated enough to stay awake. So watching what activities are happening can help the person stay awake. But if they are closer to the end of their life, more progressed in the disease process, they're going to require some more sleep. So it's a little bit of experimentation. If you have a person who's not sleeping well at night, and they usually sleep for two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, then you want to start cutting that down and, you know, hour and a half in the afternoon, hour and a half in the morning, see what happens at night. There's, a, there's another question coming in. Is there such a thing as too much sleep for someone with dementia? Again, depending on where they are in the disease process, absolutely. Um, if somebody is at the end of their life, we don't expect that they're going to be up and about. And, and that would be whether they're at the end of their life because of dementia or because of any other reason. Right. So, I mean, I guess that's, that's you know, I've noticed too with, with my mom, she tends to sleep now more during the day than she did in like longer naps, a lot longer. She sleeps in in longer naps. So like the pattern is also changing as well. But right. like you said, some of it is, I mean, when people normally age, they also take longer naps, right? That's they, true. That's true. So, um, uh, sorry, I'm reading and, and um, uh, so, so she's, I, we just had another comment come in and um, this gentleman has said, after watching this video for less than five minutes, uh, my husband who has frontal, uh, frontal lobe dementia uh, got up and um, said, I didn't take my GP yet and laid his phone down and got it. Um, he's been on it for four months. Um, I don't know, oh, and no longer has sundowning. Um, so I think the question was related to, um, uh, it gives me hope that it's working. I don't know, actually, sorry, there's a long thread on this one. So I don't know if you're, you're still on, um, tell us what exactly uh, you're, you're referring to. Um, but on another question, um, someone has said, you know, too much sleep can also indicate depression. Now this is, sure. this is, this is also, um, the case a lot of people have said seasonal changes lead to depression. How do you help someone with dementia who's suffering from depression? So people living with dementia uh, typically are, are underdiagnosed with depression. And we know that depression and anxiety are 
pretty highly correlated with dementia. So a lot of times those conditions have existed before somebody even got to the diagnosis of dementia. So whatever medications were in place for that are probably, you know, need to continue. Um, some people have the idea, <clears throat> excuse me, some people, once they develop dementia at, and they're aware of it, become depressed because of it. So the treatment is largely the same as far as, you know, experimenting until you find the right antidepressant. That's important, but there are some antidepressants, of course, that people would want to stay away from because of the anticholinergic effect of the that medication, which could interfere with their dementia medication. So that's definitely something to talk to the doctor about. And, and often the pharmacist too, the pharmacist will be way ahead of the curve on, on what would be a better class to try. Um, and then, you know, again, those other things that we've talked about, getting better sleep at night. How do you get better sleep at night? Well, exercise. So that's naturally going to make you feel better. Having a sense of self-worth feeling that you are an important part of the family you live in, of the community that you live in, um, being engaged in things that you find interesting. All of those things contribute to positive mental health, as well as good nutrition. And um, so it's it's more than just one thing. It's a, a plethora of things, really. Well, Christy, thank you so much. I know, you know, a lot, we, I mean, we've gotten a lot of questions, a lot of viewers on this one. It's obviously a, a real pain point for people suffering with dementia, as well as, you know, their caregivers, um, managing sleep. Um, and of course, we all know better sleep leads to better uh, feelings for the person, right? I mean, it's, it's that's human nature. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much. I know that you have a website. You are called the uh, Dementia Sherpa. Um, tell us what your website is. So if people DementiaSherpa.com. DementiaSherpa.com. Um, and thank you very much for your advice. Um, as always, we um, replay these interviews on beingpatient.com. Um, we will um, upload these interviews. You can always access them there. If you want to recommend um, a topic that you're having a particularly hard time with or you think is worthy of coverage, please let us know. You can do so by emailing us at info at beingpatient.com. Thanks very much for watching and we'll see you next time.